Hello, boss ladies. It's Holly Sexton, and I hope you had a great Valentine's Day. And uh, if you didn't celebrate Valentine's Day, maybe you celebrated your sisters on Galentine's Day, or you celebrated Single Awareness Day. Either way, we care about your heart, and that's why we're talking about heart science with Dr. Amanda LeBlanc. I said that wrong. Amanda LeBlanc, PhD. And she is the guest on this Boss Lady Coaching Podcast. Dr. LeBlanc is a tenured associate professor in the Department of Physiology at the University of Louisville. She directs a research program focusing on cellular therapies for coronary microvascular disease in women. We'll learn more about Amanda and the great work that she's doing for heart health for women. I'm in Louisville meeting a new friend, Amanda LeBlanc. So, so close. LeBlanc. 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 <laughs> That's right. And we have a lot to talk about in our short time here, but we were introduced um, through Boss Lady Coaching through a mutual friend of ours, right. Damon Barnes. The best. We call him Captain because he's uh, the captain for all of our Ragnar races and stuff. Yeah. And he keeps us in check. <laughs> So uh, tell me a little bit about how you know. And for those who, who don't know them, if you have been through the Hardin County Green Space system recently, mm. he has been a big driver for making improvements there and getting grant money. And so we love it. Hiking, biking, making everything that he can, ADA accepts, accessible and compliant. It's been good stuff. So anyway, how do you two know each other? Yeah, so uh, let's see, about two two years ago, my friend approached me because they there was a, a trail relay race, the Ragnar Kentuckiana, it's held at Otter Creek. And there was a an opening on the team, they needed another female. And so she asked me if I was interested and I had never done any trail races before. And Damon was the captain. And so that's how I first got to know him. And then ever since we've, we've created relay teams after relay teams and we only want him as our captain. <laughs> He's the best. So uh, have you always been athletic or did you come into this later in life? Like what's what's running and, and being part of a team like that like for you? Oh, yeah. Is it normal for you or it is, is it new? Absolutely okay. normal. New. The trail running was new, but um, yeah, I started running in fourth grade. The longest distance possible, which at the time was 400 meters, um, went through to high school, was very successful in high school, state champion, got a scholarship to run at Indiana. So I've always loved that team aspect, but running is great because it's also so individual, just in your own mind. So um, yeah, it's always been there. In, in college, university, did you run competitively? Yep. Um, let's see, at Indiana, I was all Big Ten and then graduated early, came to Louisville to finish uh, or to start my master's and I had a couple of years of eligibility left since I graduated early. And so was able to get onto the team on scholarship here and finish up and that's actually where, how I met my husband Blake. He was my athletic trainer. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's a physical therapist? Yep. Yeah. So we both got our doctorates at the same time. I went on um, to West Virginia University and got my PhD. Blake got his doctorate in physical therapy at the same time. So. Do you address each other over coffee in the morning as <laughs> Dr. LeBlanc? <laughs> we, 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 uh, that's funny. We address our, our Christmas presents to each other as to doc number one from doc number two. And I'm doc number one because I got mine first. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so um, what was that like later on, or I should say later on in your, co your, your college career, university career, but also early in your relationship with him. What was that like juggling and getting your doctorate, both of you, and trying to maintain a relationship? 
Well, so we got married right before we started our doctorates. And so, and then we moved to Morgantown. We lived as poor, very, very poor graduate students, like walk to, walk to work, walk to school, we pack our lunch every day. I mean, we really like was minimal living. And uh, we basically just knew that we had to get through it. Um, you know, we had three or four years that we were gonna spend there and just had to happen. So we supported each other through through all of it. Yeah, it was, it was much easier because we didn't have kids. So yeah. that was nice. So then you became a team. <laughs> That's right. And you stuck with it. Yeah. So um, what's his schedule like? It depends on what day it is in the year. So if it's in the fall, typically he's gone from about 5 or 6 a.m. and then he'll be home at around 8.30 or 9. So it's, it's late. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the fall, I'm a single mom because of those hours. But then on the flip side, once football's done, then I turn a lot of the childcare duties over to him and then I'm able to stay longer in the lab or, or go work outside of the, of the house to do extra work that I just had been putting off. So we try to take turns in that regards. So there's some major co-parenting happening. Absolutely. Through the the year. Yeah. Seems like it comes in waves. Which yep. he has the kids right now, which yep. is great. So, yes. Which but I walk in the door, they're super friendly. Your boys are just super friendly. <laughs> they do not know strangers. They they really do want to know everything about whoever comes in the house or whoever they meet. It's really cute. <laughs> it is really cute. A little scary, but <laughs> cute too. <laughs> so how long did you wait until after you were married to start a family? So we got married in two thousand five. And we didn't have kids until 2013 is when Louis was born. So we waited like eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was some, some good times. We had to get to know each other and finish school, of course, and and really get that on track mm-hmm. before we were ready to do anything else. Oh, and speaking of that, what was your first career step out of getting your doctorate mm-hmm. after, your, after you got your doctorate? So I'm an associate professor, but... I don't do a lot of teaching. Most of my work plan assignment at U of L is research. And so when you're in the research track, when you finish your PhD, you need to go and do a postdoc fellowship. So a postdoctoral fellowship. Those are basically like one or two years, sometimes three year stints where you're learning extra skills, extra lab skills, or, or just extra techniques to help you become your own independent principal investigator. And so that's what I am now. So I did a postdoc at West Virginia while Blake was finishing up his schooling. And then once we both were done, we moved to Louisville. I did another postdoc because I wanted to learn a different aspect of of my particular area of research. And then Blake was able to start his job. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And where are you now with that? What I should ask the stepping stones. Yeah. yeah so the stepping stones to get you where you are with your research now. Yep. So after the PhD was done, two postdoctoral fellowships, and then I was able to get on as faculty at U of L in 2012. And so I was an assistant professor, tenure track. And so if anyone doesn't know what tenure means, it's uh, when you're tenure track, you are basically trying to be as productive as possible to show the university that you are worth basically like a lifetime contract. So you get about five or six years where you're trying to publish manuscripts, get grants, um, have service to research, and then they judge you at the end of those five or six years and say, yes, we, we will guarantee your base salary from here till almost forever. So it's a big deal, and so I was able to get tenure 
um, in 2018. And mm-hmm. so then I went from assistant professor to associate professor. So that's where I'm at now. So I'm in this like middle ground between that and professor would be my next step. But I need to get more grants for that. <laughs> Speaking of that, um, looking back when you first started in college, did you plan your trajectory or did you go with the flow? I knew I had a mentor in college that she was a, um, she was actually tenure track and getting ready to go up for tenure, um, in a different field. But I remember seeing her and how she was able to kind of work her schedule and, and kind of that lifestyle that she was living and, and able to do her own research that she wanted to do. And that just stuck with me. And so that's, that's when I really changed my career goals to being a professor at a major like D1 institution, um, preferably in a school of medicine somewhere. And so um, really from there, the trajectory is the same. If that's where you're going to go, then you follow those steps that I, that I outlined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that, and it takes a discipline to do that every day to get up and to stay. What, what tools did you use to, um, to get yourself through those times when you didn't feel like doing the work? Oh, well, okay. So I'll, I guess the, the one moment or not moment, the one period of, of that time that it was the hardest was the last year of my PhD where I'm finishing up experiments. I'm, I'm having some friction with my, with my, my principal investigator, like my boss, because we're both trying to get myself done. And um, I just remember feeling so exasperated, just tired of it all, just wanting to quit. And I remember Blake really just, you know, coming home and, and just spilling everything to Blake and him saying, basically buck up. Like it's, you know, okay, you've had your time to rant and whine and cry. Here's a glass of wine. Now buck up and get to work. <laughs> That's basically what he would tell me. I, I wish Megan was here, my partner, so she could hear you say that. She taught me that as well. Um, she's like, it's fine to have your pity party. Yep. You can even invite people. That's fine. Yes. She said, but put a fence around it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you have the rest of the day or you have 24 hours, but then after that, it's time to, to move forward. So, but it also sounds like he was supportive yes. too. And, and it really takes that partner or friend, somebody in your life that believes in you to help get you through those times where you just can't see, even though you know where you're going and you've been steadfast the whole time to just get over that last chill. Yes. And speaking of that, um, balancing your important work that you do in your marriage and family and also um, training for <laughs> for Ragnar and events like that. And for those who aren't familiar, what is Ragnar? Oh, let's, yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. come back really quick. So Ragnar is a, is a, it's a brand of, of races, and what they do is either relay races um, on the roads or relay races on trails that are overnight mm-hmm. and – you can have a team of, of like four to eight people and basically, yeah, you just are, are a family for a good 36 hours, sometimes shorter and yeah, just go out and run and have fun together. Mm-hmm. So you, you hear each other's voices, you smell each other's smells. Oh you. gosh. <laughs> yes. Which, which I've heard through Bourbon Chase um, mm-hmm. talk, it can get kind of just like you said, like family. It's yes. like you are, you live together for this period of time. Yeah. So, um, 
it sounds like you really enjoy that though. So even though you have to stay in shape and train to be able to do that, that it's, it's uh, something that you look forward to. Absolutely. And I mean, the other reason I run is, is as a stress relief, no doubt. I, I, I need to run in order to have that time away from family, kids, all the other things, and just really be able to connect with what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. And it helps me organize like what I need to do, you know, kind of gets me prepared for the day or because I like to run in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's like the number one reason I run is for the stress relief. The races are just like bonuses, like just fun times to hang out with friends and, and just be goofy and let loose. So it's really social. Oh, yeah. For you. And yeah. then you meet new people. But I am competitive. <laughs> I am competitive. No. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so tell me about where you're from, and and we know how you got here, but tell me where you're from and where it all started. Yeah, I grew up in Clarksville, Indiana, so just across the river from Louisville, and uh, it's a tiny, tiny little town, and very small high school. I think there was 88 people in my graduating class. Oh my. Um, Mom and my dad live with them. I have three older siblings, but they're much older, so... The closest one to me is my brother. He's 10 years older than me. And so then my two sisters are even more further apart in age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm the closest with them now, my sisters. Yeah, we're, we're very tight. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so are your parents still around? My mom, mom still lives here. Mm-hmm. Uh, dad still lives here. Uh, really, everyone's still here. Yeah, it's great. So it's, it's really good for us in terms of having a two-career family that we've got the rest of my family here that can help out with child care and, mm-hmm. and just child support. That's, that's clutch. Yeah. Takes a village. Yes. When my mom moved away, I was so sad. I mean, it was I bad for me, but she was so close with my son. Yeah. And so, and now too, I take like today, you know, there was no school. And so I'm like, mom, <laughs> like, mom used to step in and be that person. Yeah. You know? And, and I, I probably took it for granted. So sorry, mom. But, um, yeah, it really makes a huge difference to have that, oh, yeah. that proximity. There's, I don't, I don't know how we would work this out if I didn't have family around to help out for those, those type of situations. Like, okay. Oh, the water heater broke and, and at, at, at their daycare or something, you know? And it's <laughs> like, okay, now what am I going to do? I had experiments planned today. Call up mom. You know, or call it my sister. It's like, can one of you guys take the boys for this, you know, this many hours? And so it's, it's amazing. Well, speaking of that, what are your days like? Take me from the start to, um, I know this week has been crazy. It seems like for all of us, it's been a week of weeks for many reasons. Week of weeks. (laughs) A week of weeks. Um, but what's a a regular, uh, say a regular Tuesday. Okay. Um, so like I said, I like to run in the mornings because I like to get it done out of the way so I don't have to think about it the rest of the day. So I'll wake up early, um, usually running with my friend Ashley out the door by 6 a.m., usually running with Julep, who you might hear whining in the background. Uh, so that's What a my... great name for a dog. I know. <laughs> She's a German short-haired pointer, so she can outrun me, you know, forever. She's, she's yeah, she's meant for running. And so I'll take her running usually like six or seven miles. And then come back. I'll be showering. If it's not football season, Blake will be waking up, getting the kids up and ready. Um, and then I come down. We all have breakfast. And then we're out the door. And it really depends on if I have to get to work quick, then Blake will take the kids in. If not, then I'll take one of them in. He'll take one in. I go to work. Usually it's 
computer work for a good hour, which means coffee time. Yeah, right. Oh, you're, yeah. You're sent, uh, yeah, you got to wake up your brain. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that time to just sit at my desk and just, you know, get myself ready. Mm-hmm. And then um, usually experiments. So I have two graduate students in my lab, and so they've... They plan out the experiments, and I'm the one that has to do this one particular dissection. So I'll get in the lab for a couple hours, and then usually lunch, back to my desk, and then I'm doing computer work the rest of the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, picking up kids. Then it's the nightly, I I call it a fight, because really, by the time you pick up the kids, like, they're done with their day. And so you're just trying to fix some food that they'll eat. (laughs) And then the two boys now just want to wrestle the whole time. So once they get done eating, it's, I'm, I'm like the referee in the living room being like, no, no, no. You know, can't you tell, like stop kicking him and no, don't put all the pillows on the ground. And it's, it's that until eight o'clock when they go to bed. Yeah. It's a lot. And then just wait till homework comes into play. Then there's that there's checking the folder every day and checking the agenda and making sure that, yeah. And, and all of that. Yeah. You have that to look forward to. No, I, I already started (laughs) Louis in kindergarten and yeah, yeah, he's, he has homework every single, every single night. Yeah. So I just read an article this week. I believe it was, oh, I need need to source it. I'll source it in the notes. Sorry. But it was about how parents, if you feel at the end of, by the time you get to work, after you've done your morning ritual and everything with the kids, if you feel like you've already had a day before (laughs) you've even started your day, Uh it's because um, it has been compared to, uh, physically compared to a work day. Just that rich, the ritual that you go through in the morning. So I was like, oh, no wonder. Because some days I, I go, okay, now I start my other job. Yes. yes. <laughs> now that I've done all these things in the morning. Or exactly. Yeah. So like three jobs. <laughs> yep. Yep. So let's get specific. Uh, let's nerd out. What do you do at work? You're talking about experiments. You're talking about lab. What are you working on that you're excited about? So, okay. I'll... Um, The research that I do is focused on heart health in women specifically, and how do we make our hearts work better as we get older? And so it's very self-motivated, self-centered research, okay? Since I'm a woman, I'm gonna get older, I have a heart. We're all listening right now. (laughs) And tell us your ways. Yes, so (laughs) the even better part of this, you're gonna really love this, is that we found that if we use this cell therapy that comes from adipose tissue or fat and use that to treat old animal models that they start to resemble young animal models in terms of their heart health. So yes, so fat cells treated in an old animal makes their hearts work like young animals. Yes. You're going to have to break that down for me because isn't fat bad? Right. So that's what everyone thinks. And, but there's a lot more cells in the fat than just fat cells. So you can, you've got your adipocytes, which those are fat cells. Mm -hmm. But then also in the fat, you've got a vascular system because you've got to give blood, take away, uh, you know, bring oxygen, take away, um, metabolites from the fat. And so all of those other cells are what we're actually taking out and using. That's, those are the regenerative cells that we're using to treat the old hearts. Got it. Okay. So this is really exciting for a lot of reasons. The first one you mentioned, (laughs) but also because of funding, right? Yes. Hey, Julep. Julep. 
Zip it. <laughs> if I just let her up, then she'll stop doing that. If Go for it. Okay. I'm cool. All right. I'm good with it. I love dogs. All right. Here she comes. Here comes the crazy. Unleash the crazy. Hello, beautiful. You guys stay down. Hi, I'll hit you. <laughs> and she'll calm down. Yeah. I'm new. You smell. All right, go on. <laughs> all, all the pretty ones are crazy. That's what I say about her. She's a gorgeous, gorgeous she dog. She is gorgeous. But yeah, she's got um, enough energy for about 10 dogs. All right, girl. Okay. You smell me? So what were we talking about? Okay. We're talking about, rewind in my brain. I was talking about the fat cells. Fat, fat cells, and then we were talking about um, funding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because some of the projects you look at, mm -hmm. you may believe in them, they may be meaningful, but we <laughs> also really have to take into consideration, all of us, all women, have to take into consideration of collaborations, of what we do with our time, is it meaningful, but also can we get the funding that we need to do? It? Absolutely. Could be practical about it. Yes, and, and science is a great example of that because as a scientist, you're inherently curious mm -hmm. about the world, right? You, you, you see something and then you, you ask questions and you form hypotheses and, and you wanna investigate it. But if you don't have money to do those experiments, then, then it's not happening. And especially when you're looking at fiscal responsibilities of universities nowadays, if you don't have a grant for it, then it's not happening. And so with the funding sources that are out there, the major one being the National Institutes of Health or the American Heart Association, they'll give out grants to investigators, but it has to be something that they think is worth it to them. So it's either going to bring about amazing results or it's going to affect so many numbers of people with that particular disease or something like that. So in your case with women and with heart health, um, was that a hard sell? Oh, so absolutely not. No? No. Good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's gotten so popular in the last, Julep, come here. Come here. Get down. No, ma'am. It's gotten so popular in the last, I'd say decade that, that people understand, or at least they're, they're starting to realize that heart health of a man is much different than heart health for a woman, especially as we get older. Like men typically will experience a large vessel uh, dysfunction. So, you know, have you ever heard of like the widowmaker vessel or something mm -hmm. like that? So that's like the main vessel of the heart that becomes occluded. It, it gets a... That's a, how my father passed away. Okay. He, so, he, yeah. Yes. He had a congestive heart failure a few years before. Yeah. We saw the signs. He uh, did not make dietary changes. He didn't make change, other cha mental health changes in his life and continued on that path. And it led to a massive heart attack. Yeah. So, um, it, but it's interesting because we know that women too when they experience a heart attack it looks and feels different yes. too than how it manifests in a man yeah so more women will present with microvascular dysfunction so microvascular means the really small vessels so those aren't as um obvious when you go in for say um uh an angiogenic screen where they're looking at the vessels well, the big vessels could be completely open, but the woman is still having an ischemic attack 
and it's because of the small vessels not functioning well. Mm-hmm. What we found in our research is that the cells that we've been using, the, the ones from the fat tissue, will go in and make those small vessels work better. And so that's why we think it's, it's targeted to women, really, because they're the ones presenting with small vessel dysfunction more anyways. And so it really is kind of like a, a perfect therapy for them because it's, it's going in and making the small vessels work better. Mm-hmm. Any idea why it's different for men and women? A lot of people pin it to uh, the hormone changes that happen, of course. Once women go through menopause, that change in estrogen really affects the small vessels more than it affects the large vessels. And you're into vessels. Yes. So <laughs> so let's talk about that. Not just around the heart, but the whole body. Um, as a runner, have you... Do you feel like your circulation is way better than it would be from all the time you've spent st- sitting studying? Do you because they say sitting is the killer? It yes. is it's sitting is the smoking. That's right. Yeah. So uh, that is absolutely true. So when I am sitting at work and working on my grants, <laughs> and a lot of us and, do now. Uh huh. I make sure that I get up and like walk around every twenty minutes, which is good because I've you know I've got a not ADHD, but it's just like. I just get restless, and so then I'll just stand up, walk around, and then that helps out a lot. Okay, so for your brain, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, back to funding. Uh, we have a lot of women that listen that have great ideas, but they do need partnerships in funding. Uh, what have you learned about being successful in your grant writing and getting funding? Oh, okay. That's a good question. The, the number one reason I think that I got funded from NIH is because I had great mentors that were willing to give me very honest, straightforward advice. They were willing to read my grants, proofread, you know, edit, give me those, those suggestions. And then, um, that happened, you know, back and forth, back and forth. I would submit it the grant would get uh, reviewed, and then you can resubmit the grant and, and respond to the reviewers. And so they would then also help me respond to the reviewers and say, okay, well, here are the things that they said that they liked and didn't like about the grant. Well, I can't address all of them, but which ones do you think are the most important that I can address in this time frame and resubmit it in three months? And so they were critical in those decision-making um, sessions and then of course reviewing the grants again before I put it back in. I'm so thankful you mentioned mentorship because we focus a lot on that on the podcast yeah. and asking for help oh, yeah. and, and, and having a network of people that you trust and obviously you have that with yes. your grant writing so um, what would you say as far as your, your writing from college to your writing now? How has that evolved? So in all of those steps from going from, you know, PhD to where I'm at now, you have to evolve your, your scientific writing. And so every time that I would send it to someone, number one, I wouldn't send it to any of my mentors without it being what I thought a near final draft, because I don't want to waste their time with something that is still unpolished and not all the way thought out. So I didn't want to waste their time mm-hmm. with that. Um, and then as I'd say, just like as the years went by, I would just, I don't know, just really try to remember when I would see a grant or read a grant that had been funded before, I would try to copy some of their their techniques in writing. So 
one example, like when you've got your, your first page, it's called the specific aims page, and that's the first page of the grant. So that's the one that the reviewers are going to read first. So after talking with my mentors, they're like, that page has to grab your reviewers and make them excited to read the rest. And so I remember that, and, and now every single grant that I write and every single grant that I read for other people, I make sure that it's doing that. Or at least that's what I'm trying to, to do. So there's a persuasive writing component at yeah. the beginning, but also um, having your your facts checked and having your facts correct yes. in, in your research. And, and also, I like how you said you, you're almost ready or you feel, you're like, okay, this is my almost final. This is my fifth draft or sixth draft right. or whatever. Right. And, and I, I love how collaborative that is. Um, have you ever gotten any response back that was just not what you were expecting? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially when I first started. I mean, you know, I'd send it to, to my mentor and say, okay, you know, let me know what you think. And then he'd send it back to me the next day and, and we would have to completely change half the grant and I would feel so so deflated but then I knew it was for the better like he had brought up something that I hadn't even thought about and was like well duh Amanda and so then <laughs> then it's just you know a couple late nights to try to re- you know kind of reverse course and then mm-hmm. and then start anew has that always been something in your mindset that you've been okay with or have you been resistant oh I'm totally change? resistant I, yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. really hard to you because when you're going down a path and then somebody who's a subject matter expert <laughs> who's trying to help you is like, pump the brakes. We need to turn the car around. Yep. And you're like, no. I know. It hurts. It, it hurts. hurts. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing I've learned at, at 40 now is to not be married to certain things. Yeah. I feel like now I have ideas and I cultivate them to the best of my ability. And then I let them go out oh. into the world. And I just try not to anchor anything to them. And oh, it's been very freeing. I, I wish know. I'd known that 20 years ago. I need to work know? on that. I need to yeah. work on that for sure. Um, it's it's one of those tools that has become very freeing for me. Yeah. For sure. So um, what are your goals in the next year or so when it comes to um, this research that you're working on currently? So I want to continue the line of research and kind of really trying to answer the questions that the research is, is, is showing. Like we see this improvement in heart health. The old hearts start to look like young again. We're now trying to figure out well, why is that? What are these cells actually doing? So, so there's that component in like following where the research is taking me. But the other, I guess, major thing that I've come to realize and really set my sights on is, uh, I am very determined to move up the academic ladder. And so in order to do that, I need to get more experience in leadership positions. And so actually I met with the chair of my department um, late last fall and shared with him what what I would like to do. Like my my goal is to eventually become vice dean of research for, for UofL or for another D1 institution, just at a school of medicine. And, um, so I was like, you know, this is where I want to eventually be. That's like a five to 10 year goal. Mm -hmm. So what can I do now to set myself up for that? You know, what, what are the things I can do now, um, that's going to help give me experience and, and really set me up for that. And so he was very supportive he's always been supportive of whatever I wanted to do, but he, um, he helped me set up a meeting with the, the Dean, uh, Tony Gansel. 
and we talked and she gave me some great advice on on you know books to read uh leadership courses to sign up for she told me okay go and meet with the current vice dean of research ask him you know what does your day look like what things do you wish you have known when you were at your stage currently like my stage um and so i went i met with everyone she told me to meet with and really i've got my whole my whole year is really set up to to really take off in terms of mm -hmm. for this this goal of mine and that's been really effective for you in Absolutely. your career and i like how you you didn't set on that you just said okay i know what i need to do now that i have this advice yep. um what did the dean say she well number one she's she's I can, you can just tell that she's so happy and thrilled to see women want to move up the academic ladder. Cause mm -hmm. she, she gives a, you know, a point herself. She's like, you know, I, I kind of grew up in this male dominated field. Um, and so I love to see women being ready to like break barriers, you know? And so you could just tell of that enthusiasm, that support already. But the things that she told me, um, basically she was like, you need to meet with these people. You need to look at these different leadership courses that are offered by this particular, like the AAMC. Um, those were the things that she helped me with. And then when I met with those people later, they gave me more details in terms of, okay, well, this leadership course is going to help you do this. This book is really focused on this. You should read this book first and then get into these other books after that. And, and so it was great. I mean, they really, they like laid out a blueprint for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and what's exciting too is her passion. She's happy to share that with you. Yeah. Uh, what we've run into sometimes is uh, clients of Megan's who are, who are um, seeking coaching and, and trying to gain confidence they don't feel like they can ask those questions. And and we encourage them to be brave and just go seek out people and ask questions. Uh, the amount of rejection there, I feel, is pretty low. Yeah. I feel like most people are going to respond in a positive way and say, <laughs> Do you look from here? Drop. Drop it. That's great. <laughs> no. She's blaming Julep, but it's not Julep. <laughs> Amanda's got the squeaky toy. I know. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> it's a stress relief. <laughs> I need one of those at home. Um, there's so many questions that I want to ask you, but um, I want to commend you um, because one of the things that our <laughs> listeners will see um, is this incredible photo of you taken for 40 under 40. So tell me about that distinction and what that was like for you. Yeah. So it goes back to uh, the year before that I had a, a fellow in my lab. He was, um, he was in the OBGYN department. He was a fellow in the reproductive endocrinology and infertility group. And he started his own clinic, uh, but he had to do a, a research component of that, and he did that in my lab. So we knew each other through that. Well, he started his own clinic here in town, um, and he got nominated the year before and, and was one of the 40 under 40. And then I come to find out he nominated me then after that. And so I got nominated. I filled out the application. It, it felt really weird because it, it seemed like it was way more geared towards, um, you know, like finance, the finance field or, or, or realtors or something like that. Definitely mm -hmm. not a scientist, 
but I answered the questions and, and maybe they just needed some diversity. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> I got selected and it really, it was really cool. I mean, I was definitely like the only scientist, you know, no doubt, but it was almost a, a like validation, like vindication of like, yeah, I've, I've done some hard things too. Like it doesn't show in, in, you know, in the newspapers or anything, but it was really neat. So, so yeah, that was 2018 and they had to of course have professional photos done. So I got to go to the Omni and hang out there with the cool people while they took fancy photos. And that, and the Omni had just opened. It had just opened. Oh, and it was, um, the day that we were there, we got to go up to the residential level. So the ones that like, you know, the people that actually live there, live there. And so we got to go up there and take the photos and it was just so gorgeous. And you could, you know, it was overlooking Louisville. It's just beautiful. Love that hotel. <laughs> I do too. It was really, it sounds like it was really special. It was. For you. It was. And that's fascinating to hear you say that though. You work on all of these projects, but you're right. It's really not. Um, the victories that you have are not something that are splashed across an, a headline or that you'd see on the evening news or something Absolutely like that. Absolutely not, yeah. And then even when people ask me what I'm doing, it's like, okay, I've got to say this in a way that... Okay, that dinner party asked. Ran a glass of wine, I'll be like, at, at, at Christmas, at a party. And I'm like, so, um, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I use fat elevator cells. <laughs> I use fat cells to make the heart work better. <laughs> Like, do you want too. some? Because I can. Are you taking donations? Of fat cells? <laughs> that's, that's what it always comes down to. They're like, oh yeah, I've, I've got some to give. You need some. You need me to show up at work. <laughs> yeah, you need some donations of that. So, so uh, what do you see for women's heart health based on your research in the next decade? Um, I see. I see a lot more focus on on the microvessels because that's that's really the main thing. All the research to date has all been focused on men. You know, they develop devices that can fit in the very large vessels. Well, if our vessels are completely open, then we don't even need those devices. So all this research that's been done, that's great for men. It really helps them out, but it doesn't help us out much. So I see the focus shifting more towards um, developing therapies that can fix small vessels and also educating um, the primary care doctors about the differences in heart health for women. Honestly, a lot of them do not know that there's such a difference in men versus women in cardiovascular disease. So that's where I see the major things going on. Well, for those who aren't familiar, only because I've read it several times, um, what is it like for a woman to have a heart attack? Because we know, um, because of movies and we've seen it on TV, you know, with your left arm hurts and that, you know, that type of thing. I see that more of as a masculine uh, manifestation yep. of a heart attack. So for women, what does that look like? So for women, um, typically you'll get more pain up in like the jaw and neck area. Um, you'll have fatigue, which I know it's like every woman has fatigue, but you'll have <laughs> more fatigue than, than is normal. Um, and you can be nauseous, all of those can actually be indications that something's something's up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, what should women do at that point? Uh, call the doctor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what has been the most challenging part of your career journey so far? Oh, I mean, it's it's now trying to juggle, trying to juggle it all. Um, 
So, I got, for example, when football started two years ago and we went from having one kid to two, I was finding that the amount of time doing things for the kids was really starting to impact how much I was able to get done at work. And so I was like, well, something's got to give. I can't ask Blake to leave work early. Like that's, that's his job. He's, we knew this, this is what's always going on during football season. So what we compromised on was that we were going to hire a, a babysitter to come weekly on Thursday nights. And that was my night to then go work at the coffee shop or if I didn't have work to do, just to get out of the house and just be away and kind of have me time. And so we've, we've tried to continue that to help with balancing everything. And so it, that helps me feel like I've got a little bit more of a handle on the things at work, that I'm not so overwhelmed. And if I am feeling overwhelmed, then I take that time to just relax and drink wine down at the coffee, at the at the wine bar down the street. So you know that that is your time. Yep. Which is that's fantastic. Yeah. And I don't think people realize that enough that you have to plan that time and you have to Absolutely. orchestrate it and follow it because it's not going to come up. And and I see yeah. the same thing when it comes to relationships, when it comes to dating, when it comes to sex. All of that. Yeah. You, sometimes, and people are like, wow, that's not really romantic. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes you have to put it on the calendar. Yeah, if, it, and if say, it's important to you. We're going to meet up here and do, yeah. you know, we're going to be together. And this is how we're going to get it done. Because, sorry, sometimes you just have to schedule that time yeah. for yourself. Or, and I'm, I'm or fiercely, fiercely protective of that, too. Of of both the, the, you know, the Thursday night work nights. But then I'm also very protective of... Of making sure we get our our date night, if not weekly, then every other week, and I, I'm very much like just I hold on to that and I make sure that that happens. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it, I make it a priority because it's so important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have one more question, and it come, and it's about your kids. Um, I think it's great that your kids see what you're doing. Yeah. Um, is that uh, generational for you? Like, did you see your mom work outside of the home or what, what was it like growing up for you and what are you showing for your kids? Yeah. What are you displaying or modeling? Yeah. My mom worked, um, she worked as a secretary at the church and I, she told me that, you know, once I was born, I went and was dropped off at my grandparents every day while she went back to work. And so then they helped raise me until I was old enough to get into preschool. And so, yeah, that was always the norm. It was always the norm of mom worked, dad worked. Um, and there was never a, a thought or, or talk of one being more important than the other in terms of their career. Like they just, they both worked and it was necessary for our family. So that's what I grew up seeing. And then, um, yeah, so I think they set a great, a great example for that. Mm-hmm. I, I I know that uh, Louis really interested in my work. He he loves coming to my lab. He <laughs> likes making um, as he calls it tornadoes, which basically just puts some water in a flask and puts a little magnetic stir stir bar in there and turns it on, and then it'll just swirl around like a tornado. Yeah, and he thinks it is magic. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> Mom did this. Yes. And and that's the thing about being a mom with kids that are younger. Enjoy it. Because you're a rock star right oh, now. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, Dad has the real cool job, right? He gets to work with, you know, 
Lamar Jackson and Teddy Bridgewater and like all these Jair Alexander, but mom can make tornadoes in the lab. (laughs) (laughs) See, Jewel loves it too. Yes, you do. Um, Thank you for what you're doing for heart health and also to advance women too with your two sons and in your family to say no one's career is more important than the other based on sex. Right. You know? Yeah. You're, you're both doing your jobs. You're both doing meaningful work. Um, so you have any advice for our listeners? Any, anything you live by? A credo? Anything that really inspires you that you want to share before we go? Um, I would emphasize again to find those mentors that are going to root for you and find opportunities for you. Make sure that they know your goals so that they can look out for you. I think that's that's been probably the most crucial part of my career journey so far is stumbling upon or seeking out those mentors like meeting with the dean and then telling her like here's my goals and so now she knows and she can kind of be on the lookout for opportunities to help lift me up um i think that's that would be number one number one career advice is to find those good mentors well we'll be watching you no pressure (laughs) we'll be watching you over the next couple of years to to see where your career goes and i'm really excited about it awesome thanks Thanks for listening to the Boss Lady Coaching Podcast. I'm Holly Sexton. Join me, Megan Stith, and guests next time. Feel free to share this. We're on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Boss Lady Coaching. And we're also in the Boss Lady Network. So check that out on our Facebook page and bethebosscoaching.com. Thanks so much.